0: What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal A.J. Styles. You're listening to the Two-Man Power Trip. Hi, folks. I'm WWE Hall of Famer Hacksaw. If you'd like hearing knock-knock jokes or jokes about your grandmother, go somewhere else! Oh, Oh my God! This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two-Man Power Trip
1: podcast. This is Cody Rhodes, and you are listening to Two-Man Power Trip. Good. How you doing,
0: Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Okay. Uh, this is a uh, special visitor to hardcore legend, Mick Foley. It
1: was a very rough feud to go through with Rick. It was a very bitter feud, too. He
0: certainly didn't like me at that time. and I didn't like him, and we were both trying to be at the top. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do.
1: Look, Mean Gene, I can't beat me. I'm the greatest of all time, and I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the s*** out of me. At this point, I'll be at a signing and little kids will come up to me and throw up the click sign or talk about, oh, your ladder match with Shawn at WrestleMania 10. I go, wait a minute, you weren't even a glimmer in your dad's eye. But yeah, bro, it's really flattering and and amazing
0: and humbling. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. (laughs) They've worked in and around the wrestling business. eat <laughs> him.
1: Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast. This is the flagship episode, of part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. I am your host, JP John Paz, and on today's cast is none other than the ECW World Tag Team Champion, ECW World Television Champion. You may know him as Pitbull number one, but he is, of course, Gary Wolf, and he comes on the show and has a nice, lengthy conversation with me today and a great interview we talk about all things ECW. The Halo incident is definitely a highlight for me. Just a great kind of moment in wrestling. We go into that whole feud and we dissect it piece by piece. And Shane Douglas, did he really, you know, do a number on his neck? Did he really break his neck Was the Halo you know really needed was it just more for for effect you kind of find out it really wasn't and he really did have a broken neck and we go into that whole storyline francine turning um Pitbull number two, Anthony Durante, his kind of role with his feud with Shane Douglas, Rick Rude, and his role in it—really, really good stuff. And you're really going to enjoy that part of the interview. We really dissect ECW. We talk about the locker room. We talk about the drug use. We'll talk about Paul Heyman as a leader. We'll talk about Paul Heyman as a genius. We'll talk about his role with the WWF. What he thought about you know Vince kind of lining the pockets of Paul Heyman. We talk about was there a mole in ECW for the WCW? We talk about Todd Gordon. We talk about everything and everything as far as ECW. I mean, I, it is a kind of a lengthy interview, so I don't want to go on too long and, and just go too crazy. But we do cover his entire career, not just ECW. We will talk about WCW. We will talk about the independence scene. We will talk about down there in the Carolinas where they really made a big name for themselves. We'll talk about his time in Japan, whether it be New Japan or NOAA or FMW or Wing. We'll bring it up and we'll talk about everything we'll talk about puerto rico we'll talk about germany we'll talk about his time in the wwf as an enhancement talent wrestling the bulldogs Uh, Over there in New Zealand. We'll talk about his time in Australia. I mean, there's so many different things to cover and so many topics. It is really, really a a great interview and a really, really fun interview. So I definitely think you will enjoy uh, this one. Before I send it on over to some TMPT business and then on over the interview, just want to mention the other podcast, a part of the TMPT empire. Got Dr. Tom's taking you to school. We've got Dutch Mantell's University of Dutch. We've got Rick Bassman's Talkin' Tough. We have Shane Douglas's Triple Threat Podcast. We have Lavi Margolin's Trump Mania. We have Justin Incredibles Pro Wrestling 101. And last but certainly not least, Taskmaster Talks with Mr. Kevin Sullivan. So we got quite a lineup here on the two man power trip and you can go to our website, TMPT empire for more. You can also go to my Twitter or my Instagram at two man power trip and follow us there. Got so much awesome stuff going on and so many new things coming down the pike. You're going to love what we're doing here at the two man power trip of wrestling. So now without any further ado, we're going to send it over to some TMPT business. And then the interview with the former ECW world tag team champion and And world television champion pit bull number one, Mister Gary Wolf. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Raslin Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Mike. Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk, Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, and Glenn Kane-Jacobs, and so many more. While you're on the web, visit prowrestlingtees.com. Yes, that is prowrestlingtees.com. Visit our store, visit J.J. Dillon's store, Francine's store, and, of course, the franchise Shane Douglas' store. For all you Android users out there, find us on Google Play and PlayerFM. For all you iOS users, check us out on TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Automatic, and now Stitcher. And of course, check out the Empire. Yes, that is the TMPT Empire now. TMPTEmpire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling. Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am JP John Paz, your host today. And of course, we are joined by a former ECW World Television Champion, a former ECW World Tag Team Champion, and just an overall ECW legend. He's wrestled all around the globe. He is Pitbull number one, Gary Wolf. Gary, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. That's right, baby. Pitbull's in the house. Love it. So what have, you, uh, what have you been up to lately? I, I see you, you know, slowly but surely kind of making your way back into the wrestling scene. But what's been going on with you lately?
0: Well, due to the, the pandemic, I mean, I was very busy. And then next yeah. thing you know, the pandemic hit and bang. I mean, all our dates pretty much froze up. I mean, we were going Andrew Anderson, Kevin Sullivan, uh, a bunch of guys. We were all going to uh, Cuba to do a tour, which was oh, still, wow. yeah, still set. It's just that we had to postpone the first part of it because it was, you know, due to the COVID, and, you know, and we're supposed to be wow. going down to uh, we're supposed to hit England for a uh, championship wrestling over there. We got another tour set up to go there. So right now we're just trying to get back to work. You know, us guys are it's tough right now because, you know, the pandemic, you know, it's getting better, which is a good thing. So but it also helped. I mean, Flights, I got so cheap right now, so it's actually pretty good for us guys that are in Florida. There's a lot of wrestlers in Florida, you know, that have to travel. Yep. So
1: what was going on in Cuba? That's not a place you hear like a wrestling hotbed. So what was going on down there in Cuba?
0: Uh, Andrew Anderson set up a huge, huge, you know, they they haven't had wrestling there in 60 years. Wow. I knew it was a while. I didn't know it was that long. Wow. It's been 60 years, so... They wanted to do a thing. We had uh, Andrew Anderson, like I said, and and Kevin Sullivan. They got their backers. And it's a shame, you know, we lost Animal in this past few days, and uh, he was part of it with us. So, Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, uh, Animal, sad. great
1: guy. What's kind of been your experience with Road War Animal? I mean, you've probably known him for a long time, but what's kind of, uh, you know, your feeling on the whole thing on his passing? Because that was very sudden and very shocking.
0: Yeah, I was very surprised because I, I I felt that uh, uh, he was in great shape to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean I, yeah, I mean, he was in great shape. And I, I wrestled Mike many times, you know, many times, Hawk, you know. And, uh, you know, Joe, I mean, I, I just couldn't believe it. I was very shocked, you know, very surprised. Have you wrestled the Road Warriors as a team? No, we never wrestled them as a team We were actually, I mean, it's its a really sad story But it's the honest to God truth uh, When my partner passed away Which is well, a few weeks ago His anniversary was uh, I had gotten a call Before that by Joe And Mike And they were like, look, you guys want to get back Because we had stopped wrestling for a little bit mm-hmm. And uh, Because ECW closed down And we were going to WCW But Vince bought down So that ruined our deal there. So, you know, he called us up and said, look, we're going back to Connecticut and we're doing a big show and we're getting back on the map again. And we figured we'd wrestle you guys. So it was great. We were like down with it. You know, awesome. You know, it's been a while. But in two weeks, Anthony died. And then within the same two weeks, uh, Mike died. So it was like it hit us hard.
1: Yeah, it's terrible. And obviously it obviously wasn't meant to be pit bulls against uh, the road warriors. What was the the experience like just with uh, Anthony Durante number two and his passing? I mean, it's got to be like a brother passing, right? You guys were really close.
0: Oh, yeah. We grew up in the same town, went to the same school, you know, <laughs> uh, same grade. Uh, we didn't hang out much as kids, but then as we got older, we ended up bumping into each other at the gym. And then we just became friends from there and. We didn't know we were going to be wrestlers until, uh, I'll tell you a story. We snuck in, uh, Wildwood, New Jersey. Oh yeah. Okay. When they used to do raw tapings there. So, uh, they asked us, they said, do you guys want to do security? Cause we were at the gym. tell us gym working out and we're like, shit. Yeah. You know, we love wrestling. You know <laughs> what I mean? The yep. British Bulldogs were there. I mean, it was a fucking nice show. And, uh, So we decided to sneak in the building on Monday morning, like that afternoon, because the show was that night. So we snuck in. It was me, Anthony. Uh, You may know him as Crybaby Waldo. He was another independent wrestler who passed away Mm -hmm. recently. Uh, And Andy Bernowski, who happens to play in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. He's oh yeah, the, he's Leatherface, so yep. he's big. He's big boy, man. <laughs> so we were in there bumping around the ring, and we've never been in a ring before, honestly. So we actually killed each other. We didn't know what we were doing, and no bullshit. <laughs> no bullshit, man. Dick Worley was in the, in the uh, stands watching us just for the kicks. You know what I mean? He's like, yeah, you know, yeah. I, you know, and he looked at Andy Brunowski and he told him, he's like, dude, you're the next Hulk Hogan. I mean, he, he was got to remember Andy was about. Six, seven, you know, probably over 300 pounds at that point, muscle, all ripped, but very, still very, very young, you know? And uh, he was just like, hell no, man, I ain't doing this shit, it's too rough, you (laughs) know? And and we even said it, I mean, I remember I I couldn't work out for two weeks, just bumping in the ring on my own. I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, we were just like, we'd practice out in the water and the beach and shit, just suplexes. But we never thought we'd be wrestlers. And then next thing you know, know, after that summer, Anthony decided to go to the Monster Factory. So I just said, screw it. I waited waited about 30 days. I had to get the cash together. And then I I signed up. And that that was in 1988 when we signed up at the Monster Factory.
1: Wow. So what was the experience like with Larry Sharp and the Monster Factory? Because, I mean, that's a legendary, legendary wrestling training place.
0: It was the best. I mean, uh, look, I can't, I could go on forever and tell you all the talent that came out of that school. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, to Also, I mean, when we were there at that time, we were there a lot, like Papa Shango was just left, just left. He was there a little bit with us, you know, and then he went right to Japan. Bammer already was gone. You know, Raven was already gone. Uh, We weren't there long, man. I mean, within what's that? Yeah, Larry was a great teacher, too. I mean, don't get me wrong, Larry was awesome. Plus, he had Charlie Fulton with him. So, I mean, Charlie Fulton would help Larry, you know, teach everybody. And Larry would always open up like he would let the guys come in and try out a lot, you know, but if they're Mm -hmm. not, if they couldn't handle it, you know what I mean? And honestly, at that time, we were pretty much running the school, me and my partner. You know what I mean? We were like the top guys there at that time Uh, before the headbangers. I mean, this is, you know. uh, So we were we, we had it made because Larry was like really into us and he wanted to manage us. So he got us on tours right away. I mean, we got to go to New Zealand the first time. Our first tour was in New Zealand against the British Bulldogs. So wow. they, they, yeah nice. they called yeah they were calling us the American Pitbulls versus the British Bulldogs in New Zealand because that's common you know it's common uh, wealth over there you know English so yeah oh it went down I mean we were in front of 55,000 people and it blew our minds you know what I mean it blew our minds because we worked for Vince first a little bit before we went on that tour and we were in front of about 22,000 then but doing Honestly, doing that tour was crazy when he filled up Olympic Stadium, you know, because the British Bulldogs, I mean, we learned so much in that two weeks, bro. Just working with those guys, Dynamite and Davey Boy were great, great guys.
1: So as far as them in the ring, were they stiff at all? Because always, you always hear stories, some guys they would stiff, like Big Foley, Dynamite Kid, you know, gave him that awesome clothesline. Well, not awesome, but a pretty crazy clothesline and busted up his jaw. So what was he
0: like in the ring and what was Davey like in the ring? First night was a complete shoot. 45-minute beat-the-living shit out of each other. shoot. Uh, Honest to God, Larry Sharp went across to get the finish, came back, shaking his head. (laughs) And I'm like, why are you shaking your head, man? He's like, there ain't no finish. Go out there and do 45 minutes. I said, okay. I'm like, all right. You know what I mean? I'm young. I was a young kid. I'm like, these old men want to fuck with me? I'm thinking, Okay. You know you yep. come to find out they weren't old, <laughs> <laughs> and they were in good shape, you know uh, it was a great match, dude, like we 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 stiffed the living hell out of each other, but we still respected the business enough to tell a story mm-hmm. and have a great finish. and I remember waking up the next day, and you know we were sore shit. I mean, like, wow, you know, I thought this was gonna be an easy two weeks, You know, yeah,. Uh, I went across the hall and I'm thinking it's Larry Sharpe's room by accident. It's, it's the you know British bulldogs room. They were already up drinking, having a good time. And they're like, come here, come here, man. We had a great match. And they, they're like, now we're boys. It was perfect. You know, it was like, you have to earn your respect in this business one way or another. Mm. And I mean, they got, they knew who we were. I mean, they got around but they just didn't, they never faced us. Plus, you know, our gimmicks were kind of similar, you know what I'm saying? Yep. So you can get that impression. Like, what are you trying to steal my gimmick? But it's not, I, you're the British Bulldogs. I'm the, you know, we're the American pit bulls, you know what I mean? So it worked out really good. And we learned, I learned a lot in that two weeks.
1: Was that like an initiation almost like they wanted to break you in? Like they had to put some respect, like, well, what, like, why the no finish? Why were they so stiff with you guys?
0: I think they wanted to see if we if we're the legit and we were legit. I mean, the next time we went back to New Zealand, we wrestled Hondo and Mondo, fucking the Guerrero brothers. Okay. So a lot of people don't know that. You know what I mean? The, the Pitbulls have wrestled unlegend tag teams, bro. Legend tag teams. But people don't even realize.
1: That's great, though. New Zealand, you have to, you know, not known as a huge hotbed, but obviously a, a good market for pro wrestling. It's great that they kept bringing you back. You guys must have been drawing over there.
0: Uh, see, we were very t- we got very tight with Don Morocco, King Curtis, mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy Superfly Snuka. you know, the wild Samoans. Like we would always wrestle the wild Samoans when me and Anthony when we were young coming up. So what happened was the wild Samoans would put the word in for us and say, yo. You know, this tag team's good. And then next thing you know, King Curtis came around uh, asking about us. You know what I'm saying? And then before you know it, it was was over from there. You know what I mean? And then once we got in Japan, like it only took the pit bulls two years to make it to Japan. And that was working for New Japan Pro Wrestling.
1: Wow, nice. Pretty good. But before that, with the WWF and doing that, is that Larry Sharp getting you guys in and getting you those matches? Like, is that how that works? He basically, you know, they call the Monster Factory, like, hey, we need some guys, we need a tag team. Like, how does that all work with the WWE and your WWF at that point and getting in there?
0: Well, Larry Sharp had a good relationship with Vince McMahon. So he would call him up and say, look, I got some students that are good prospects. You might want to check them out, but I want to send them your way to get some experience. So, you know, let's put them on TV. And this is back when they were doing the job matches on TV, if you remember. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm yep. saying? Yep. So we we would drive our 8 hours, show up for television. Uh they'd pay us 150 a night if we worked or we didn't work. And they would put us up in a hotel. So we just had to get there and, you know, work. And that's what we did. And it was a great experience for us. I mean, you got to remember this is this is the late '80s, '88. You know, between '88 and '89 in that area. You know, early, probably early '88s. You know, and I got to we meet everybody that was in that locker room then. I mean, we got the Wrestle the Heart Foundation. We got the Wrestle the Big Boss Man in our team. We got the Wrestle the Rougeau Brothers. Every tag team you can think about, we wrestled besides single guys. You know, so we got a chance to wrestle Ted DiBiase. My partner, Anthony, got a chance to wrestle Rick Rude. And who knew 10 years later, he'd be in ECW announcing me back into the ring after I broke my neck. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, cool. You know, and and, and who would think Steve Austin would be at my house every weekend party and hanging out with the boys when he was in ECW? You know what I mean? So, I mean, I could have went to work for Vince McMahon very early in my career, but I chose because... Japan came to North Carolina to look at us. We were working six nights a week there, you know, with the Nasty Boys for Jim, uh, for Paul Jones and George Scott. So that was our first job, you know what I mean? Working down South, you know, we had Chris Chavis with us, who was Katanka. We had Ken Shamrock with us, who was Vince Torelli at that time. Uh, We ended up becoming the champs down there, becoming the heels, turning Nasty Boys faces, which was great. And we were in the Stud Stable, which was awesome because we got to work with Robert Fuller and Matt Bourne. You know, And then Bob Borden would come in every once in a while. We had Ricky Steamboat there. I think John Studd would pop in. So we got to work the Malinkos a couple of times. Uh, the Fantastics would pop down, you know, when we got to work them. So it was good, good experience for us.
1: Yeah, I but, think it was uh, NAWA and then SAPW. I mean, it was both, uh, you know, it got big time down there in the Carolinas. A lot yeah, they, of
0: great wrestlers came out of there. Yeah, a lot of guys, dude, a lot of guys. I mean, even after us. But like I said, Japan came knocking on our door while we were down there and they, they sent their guy, Tokyo Joe, out to us, you know, and he studied us and checked us out and said, okay, this is what I need you to improve on. And then I'll come back. So what he did was he would send some guys from Japan down to North Carolina to work some Americans, you right. know, so they would bring in the fantastics would stop by Dean Malenko would stop by, you know, a couple Japs would stop by and then they'd go back and report. And then thing you know, Tokyo Joe would come back and visit us again. He says, okay, you know, you guys are looking good. I think we may be able to do something. So we were like, all right, well, you know, we'll see what happens. And, by that time, we started losing our days. We instead of six days a week, we were down to like almost four days a week. Then it's not the three days a week, and then it was like, okay, just TV. We can't live in North Carolina no more. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. like we, gotta, we gotta get back to Philadelphia. So we went back to Philly. We always had ECW because we started in Tri-State Wrestling Alliance, which was ECW before it became ECW. So we're the original ECW guys, me and my partner, just like Stevie Richards and a couple other guys, like you know, JT Smith, Tommy Cairo, Hot Body. There's guys that been there from the beginning. That's Tri State. So you gotta remember that. Joel Goodhart, right? He was running it then. It was Todd Gordon and Joel Goodhart, yes, correct.
1: So is that something that you guys gravitated or they recruited you in to Tri-State?
0: Oh no, we were already in Tri-State before I even left to go to North Carolina. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, we would do shows for them when they would because they're local we were like i said we were from new jersey south philadelphia area so we could hit all that stuff you know because they were working out of philadelphia which was perfect for us you know it was a 30 minute drive at that time you know Right. we were just very lucky because we had the monster factory right there and then wouldn't you have it ecw was right there And it was just like, we were very lucky. I mean, I look now at all these guys that used to try to get jobs with ECW or Combat Zone, and they would show up over there at ECW that lived in New York. And now all of them, most of them anyway, live in Philadelphia now, which is crazy. They should have made the the move back then. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, kind of became a little bit of a hub for a lot of indie promotions and stuff. So at this point... Were you also working – did you do some uh, like job matches for WCW, too? Were you in and kind of all over the place? Were you in and out?
0: Uh, no. we kept, When we were down south, we would always go to NWA because we were trying to get in NWA. Yeah. To be honest with you. yeah. I, wanted, I wanted to work for NWA before events just to get – just to build our name up a little bit more. And I kind of like the southern, how we worked down south. It was really nice. I liked it because you could do six days a week easy. You know what I mean? It's, it's 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 psychology yeah uh but they kept telling us we were too young you know but vince didn't care vince wanted to still bring us in anyway but like i said japan gave us a better deal and i had to take that deal instead so we took that one
1: so were you traveling over to japan for new japan with uh, anthony
0: yeah we would do about 25 weeks a year and then we ended up also then signing a deal with ECW. So we would do New Japan and then we would do ECW as well.
1: That's like a perfect schedule, right? I mean, you're close to home with ECW, but then, you know, you do your tours of Japan. What was it like doing that? Was it a little bit of culture shock as you first started making those Japan tours?
0: My first tour was, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, my first tour was. That was pretty funny, man. It was crazy. I mean, it's a totally different culture there. I mean, you could walk into McDonald's there and eat on the floor. That's how clean, <laughs> that's how clean it is. I'm serious. yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. It's total. It's apples and oranges. It's so weird. I mean, but they're still not caught up to society yet. Like, you'll stop at a road stop, and like the bathroom situation is pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like kind of caveman-ish.
1: Yeah. Hey, yeah. they've been wearing masks forever. Uh, you know, we yeah, started I, doing I, it listen, right. They've been doing it forever.
0: I was in Japan in 1990. My first time. Yep. And were, and I'm like, why? Are they, like I see some people wear masks. So I remember I asked uh, Tiger Tori, who was our referee at the time, and he took care of most of the young Americans. I remember asking him, why is it, Why are these people? You know, why are they wearing masks? And he's like, oh, well, they got a cold and they don't want to give that cold to somebody else. So they're being very polite and they're That's why they're wearing the mask. And I was just like, oh, that's. That's interesting. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Around here, people are just like <clears throat> right in your face. They you don't even cover their mouth half the fucking time. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yep. So interesting. Now with the mask and COVID and stuff, and I was like, man, I've been watching Japanese tapes, you know, for thirty something years. I've seen these guys wearing masks. forever. It's all like no different. It's very commonplace to, for the mask over there.
0: Yeah. All all it says is, hey, I got a cold and I don't want to give it to you, so I'm just respecting my your your space. That's how I looked at it.
1: Definitely. Now you yeah. weren't the pit bulls in Japan, right? You were the Mad ball Busters or the the Busters in Japan. <laughs> the mad bu- Mad Bull Busters. <laughs> mad
0: Bull Busters. There you go. Yeah, mad Bull Busters. And where then is, uh, where does mad that bull, name come from? Uh, they named us. They wanted the, the name us that because we own. I own the name the Pitbulls. That's mm-hmm. trademark. So they didn't want to. This way, they own all the material. So they said, "We're going to call you the Mad Bull Busters." I was like, "I don't care." It's fine. What you're paying me, I could care less what you call me. You know what I mean? At that point.
1: so you ever noticed their English never kind of matches up? Like, mad bull busters doesn't really make sense. Like, why would that be those three words together? You know what I mean? Like, they never quite get their English correct.
0: Well, I guess it, it's easier for them to say, well, I mean, when I worked for Wings and FMW, they called us the Boodles. That's how I sound. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Yep. They still called us that, but when we worked for New Japan, they wanted to own everything, so they were like, "I'm at the Bull Busters." That's how they want to say it. You know what I mean? Yep.
1: Is that just one of those things where you're just okay with the name? You kind of like, all right, whatever. Or do you not really care for the name too much?
0: Uh, I they still called us pit bulls anyway. I'll be honest with you. Right. Yeah. You, know, you know what I'm saying. So it was cool. I didn't care. You know, I just wanted to get the exposure. I mean, we were there early. You got to remember, we were there with Malinko's. We were there with Furness. We were there with Gary Albright. We were there with all these guys, you know what I mean, that are in the business. Stan Hansen, Vader, Bam Bam Bam, Bilbo, the Wild Samoans. Yokozuna was with us. I mean, we worked the Yokozuna. Like, we, we were on a, a three-week tour. We'd worked the Samoans probably four or five times, you know, because a three-week tour is 18 shots, that's pretty rough
1: yeah what's like the travel situation like i mean they they busing you guys around like how does that work because you always hear these like horror stories of oh i'm on the bus for eight hours or like how does that work in in japan
0: well like a two-week tour uh you'll get on a couple planes you're going to get on a couple buses as a guarantee and you're definitely going to get on a ferry at least one ferry and that's pretty crazy cuz there's no seats in the ferry. You got to sit on your ass and cross your legs. It's kind of weird, man. <laughs> there's got they got like one room with like four chairs, man. That's it.
1: <laughs> not treating you guys like stars, it seems like. Yeah, you know, they're a little rough on, on
0: the guys. Eh, you know, they got to make a living like we do, you know what I'm saying? They got to try to get us there safely. But they got you know the main things get us there. You know what I'm saying. So, yep. but what happens is if like I'll give you an example. We were in uh, we were we were it was a ten hour bus ride. Put it that way, and we were going back to Osaka. I think that's where they had the Disney World in Japan. I'm not sure, but we were going back there. And I remember Vader and Too Cold Scorpio were like, "Yo, Gary, listen, man, I can't deal with that ten hour bus ride on our day off, man." I go, no, I don't count that as a day off. I'm on a bus all day. They're like, screw it. Let's put up 300 bucks each and we'll jump on the bullet train and we'll be there in three hours. I said, let's do it. And we did that. And I, I'd rather do that than get on a bus for 10 hours, man.
1: Yeah. That's gotta be rough. That stinks. Yeah. It's like, uh, I guess that's the way they, they do things over there to save a little money and, uh, don't make the travel as easy on the guys as
0: they could. Well, I mean, like I said, if you have a bunch of towns that are bang, 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 you're going to take a bus. You know what I'm saying? And then then once you're on that bus, you got to get across the water to another part of Japan. Then you jump on the ferry, and the bus goes on the ferry. You get off the bus. You go across. That's probably like two or three hours. And then you're back on the bus again. You're in the next town. Go to a hotel. Get a shower. And then you're at the building. You work that night. And then you're on the bus the next day. So... it's work. You know what I mean? It's not, Japan's not easy. Nobody could, if they say it's easy, they're freaking crazy and they're lying.
1: (laughs) What did you think about that style? Did you like that strong style? You know, they're snug, they're stiff. Did
0: you like that? Loved it. It went with our gimmick perfectly. It just made our gimmick better, actually, because we learned there, like Tiger Jet Singh told me straight up. He said, he said, I go out there with the sword and I chase people. I scare them and they run, you know, because I was hearing all this running and, I'm, and it sounded like a bunch of bulls running through, you know, a field, you know, and it's people they get out of their seat and they run back then you were allowed to chase the fans. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Like, if, and if a fan hit you, you were allowed to hit them back. Oh yeah. Yep. It was so different. And I remember tiger jet Singh. I mean, he's the man, you know, and he looked at me and I'm just like, Damn, this guy's, you know, he's been in the business. He's he was like 60 years old, still working. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. And him and Bammer and Vader and them guys and Honda and Justin Lager. I worked Lager. I was doing 45 minutes with Lager matches. Easy, right. crazy. Hayabusa. I would do 30, 40 minutes with Hayabusa. Yeah, we worked, we worked all the top Hase Sasaki. We worked for the titles in Tokyo. It was awesome, man.
1: Yeah, quite a uh, star-studded uh, list of guys you've worked uh, for sure. When you come back over to the States, obviously, you know, you're going to make a, a big name for yourself because, you know, people give you a great cr- instant credibility from being over in Japan.
0: Yes, it helps big time. You know, because when you're there, like, yeah, I remember Chris Jericho. He's like around my age. Maybe, I don't know if he's younger. Is he younger than me? Or I think he's a, little, a couple years younger than me, but he was already in Japan when we were there. So we were like... Wow. You know, too cold. Scorpio was in the, in the dojo of New mm-hmm.
1: Jersey. Oh yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. That's how he started. Cause I was just like, yo, Scorpio, what are you doing? Long time. No see. You know and I'm like? He's like, I'm in the dojo, man. Don't get me in trouble. I'll be in trouble. I'm like, Oh shit. I'm like, I didn't know that, you know? Uh, but we didn't have to do that. We were lucky. I mean, the dojo, that's no joke, but it's a, it's an honor to be invited there. If you get invited there, you got to go. If you don't go, you're crazy. You know, but you better be ready when you go. You better be in shape before you even get there. Yep. You know, you better be able to do 500 free squats with one with no problem, one shot. You know, and if you don't, then to do a 45-minute match that style, you got to be in shape, bro
1: feel like over there they really want to see like almost test you like you know drill drill sergeant style like they want to make sure that you want this you know that you love the business because they're going to be hard as hell on you when they're training you
0: oh yeah i mean even the crowd's hard on you i mean the crowd's silent Hmm. they don't they don't cheer unless you do something to make them cheer like like they're not going to show you any respect unless you you know impress them and that's exactly how they are
1: so when you go back to ECW Eastern championship wrestling at first, what's like the, the thought is, is th- like, you're going to be getting a, a big push. Is it going to be singles. or is it going to be you and Anthony together as a tag is Heyman there yet, or is it still Todd? Well,
0: no, Todd's still there. Well, uh, Todd's Eddie still Gil- there. Yeah. Eddie Gilbert. Gil- Gilbert was there when
1: you were booking or and when does Heyman kind of come in?
0: Eddie was there, but I wasn't, I was still in Japan. I got home. I had a knee. I had to come well, after Japan. I had to get a knee surgery. So I got my knee done. Anthony went to Germany to work for Otto. So he was in Germany working there. I was rehabbing my knee. My, I got better. Uh, next thing I know, I see ECW on television. Late yeah. night. I'm like, what the hell's going on when that happened? yeah. <laughs> so I called up Sandman, who's a good friend of mine, and I called up And I told, I said, give Todd a call, see if I can come down. You know, I want to come down. I'm ready to go. I'm healed up. So he brought me in. He said, come in on a Saturday night. So I came in one Saturday and uh, they used me. I worked. And Paul dug it. You know, he was cool. He's like, all right, I want to see you next Friday and Saturday. I was like, okay, cool. Thank you. You know, so, you know, he brought me back. And next thing you know, I'm working. And it was about, I would say, Probably like four or five shows in, and that's that, that's just Friday and Saturdays, you know. So a couple of months went by, and he's like, "Look, I want you to do me one more favor." And I was getting to work all the guy, old guys, you know. I loved working Jimmy Snuka and and uh, Kevin Sullivan and all them guys that are you know back in the day. Yep. He's like, "Well, look, I'm bringing Hawk, Hulk. Hawk's working too, so I want you to do me one more favor. You know, work Hawk And I got something lined up for you, and I was just like, "All right, well, whatever." I didn't think anything of it. So I did the job. I did the match with uh, Mike Hawk, and I uh, had a great match. It was easy. And he's a very – he was an awesome guy, man. And uh, next thing you know, you know, Paul came up to me, and he's like, look, I'm waiting to come to New York this week to do some promos. I was like, all right. So I went and did it. Come to find out, he was putting me up against J.T. Smith, who happened to have the television title at the time. And he really never – seen me do a promo, so he really had no clue if I could even cut a promo. So I cut this promo and honest to God, uh, JT, you know, he's in crutches because he has a bad ankle. He heard it. And I open hand, smacked his ass and dropped him right on the promo. Straight up dropped him. Uh, to the point where Paul had to run out of the room so he could freak out and laugh because he didn't realize like he was just like, oh my God, like, yeah. yeah, wasn't a that. Yeah. Like that was a fucking awesome promo because I, I even added something to it, which was stupid, but it ended up getting over, you know what I mean? And I was just like, holy shit, you know And he, So he, he's outside. I'm like, what's wrong? He's like, that was fucking great. And he's like, look, I want to put the TV title on you. And I'm like, nah, man. <laughs> I said, I'm a tag team, you know what I mean? I said, my partner will be here soon and we're going to be tagging. He goes, well, in the meantime, let me put the title on you. And let's just go for it and see we know what happens. You know, I didn't realize I was going to get 20 minutes of the show because I'm the TV, I'm the television champ. So once I got it, I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. You know, because I don't have to I don't have to have the, the pressure of having the heavyweight title on me. I got to work the television title, which is OK, which is great. That's second best. And I got to be on TV a lot. So that's what I loved about it.
1: Nice. Now, the plan wasn't initially for you to be the TV champion. Almost, he almost sprung it on you. He didn't kind of give you any indication that, you know, he was going to give you a push?
0: No idea. I had no idea. He just kept coming up to me saying, holy shit, how much bigger are you going to get? <laughs> like I was I was one of the biggest guys in ECW at that time. Next to next to like Jimmy Snooker, them guys They were way bigger than me, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking like, you know, the, the guys that were already there, like Public Enemy, you know, Tommy Dreamer, Taz, you know, them guys, I was I was way bigger than all them guys.
1: And you end up losing the TV title to Mikey Whiprake, right? So the, the kind of the underdog story and uh, the
0: upset king, if you will, of uh, Mikey <coughs> That was the whole idea, right? Isn't it genius? Yep. <laughs> Paul, I mean, I'm not going to bullshit. I mean, when it comes to wrestling, Paul Heyman's a genius.
1: It's funny, too, because, you know, when Steve Austin comes in, he pins Steve Austin. He pins Sandman. He becomes the world champion. I mean, it's pretty funny, like, the way he was booked as the ultimate underdog.
0: The gimmick was, you know, you're the champ. I don't want to be champ. You got to wrestle them for the title. You could have the title. I don't even want to wrestle. You know, and that's why he would come out to, I'm a loser, baby.
1: Yes. Yes. (laughs) So as you're kind of moving along obviously you know you got to drop the TV title because Anthony's on his way in and you guys are going to be the pit bulls. Well, when
0: that, do- no, no no, I dropped the TV title so I can give it to Mikey to give him his push. Yep. And then I start an angle with Taz.
1: Yes, that's right. Big feud with Taz. It actually goes quite a while. You guys had a, had, a, had a long feud. Sorry to skip over that. What was kind of the chemistry like with Taz? Because at this point, he's not as serious as he ends up becoming, right? I mean, he's kind of doing a goofy gimmick, and then he's going to get more serious.
0: Yeah, he's doing the Tasmanian Devil gimmick at that yeah, point. Yeah,
1: Tasmaniac. Yep.
0: Yeah, that's what he was doing with him. So they they pitched the angle: the Tasmaniac versus the Pitbull. And that's how they pushed that. And they were like I said, I'm I was getting pushed. And one, two, three in the ring, right in the middle. That's all it took. You know what I mean? One pin. So you know the you, Tasmanian the Tasmanian Devil wasn't hard against the pinball.
1: What'd you think about Taz as a worker and a wrestler? I mean, that gimmick maybe didn't really fit him. His gimmick later on in ECW obviously worked. Perfectly became the the champion Really came like the, the figurehead for a while After uh, you know after beating the franchise But what was your thoughts on working him Do you think he was a good good worker good wrestler
0: Yeah he was always he was very good At judo he was a good shoot judo He was yep. a good worker I mean I have no problem I had to yell at him once for throwing me all in my head A couple of times but that's about it You know there was no problems but once they changed His gimmick from the Tasmanian devil Taz And he honestly Paul Said be yourself And that's how he is. Straight up. You know, that's just how he is. So it was okay. I had no problem. I mean, I did a nice loop with him. I mean, I would do, I had easy loops. I mean, I had one entire loop against Mikey Whipwreck. I had uh, loops against Stevie Richards. I mean, that's when they were really building me and pushing me and building me up. You know what I mean? And then they started bringing him, like I, they started giving me better guys, like I said, with uh, Taz and just other guys that they were pushing, you know, Axel and them guys, you know.
1: What did you think about the Tasmaniac gimmick? You think that was like a little too sports entertain a little too goofy for ECW because ECW was kind of being built up, you know, these tough guys, it's, it's more legit. So many fans are like, oh, this is real. You think the Tasmania gimmick is kind of like, oh, that's a little, uh, I don't know, a little WWE-ish or a little weird for ECW?
0: Yeah, but WWE wasn't interested in him until he changed his gimmick to Taz. So, you Mm. know, I mean, that, that, but, and, and you got to realize also he's getting a huge, huge push, huge push. Yep. Him and Sabu was the top, you know, that was a top gimmick at that one point.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. And they hadn't touched and then building up to the the pay-per-view where they're finally in a touch. Yeah.
0: Yeah. When in fact the angle between me and Shane Douglas actually overplayed that. So that was the predicament that Paul had. He didn't know what to do. He was like, oh, my God, I got I got I got so many different great angles, you know, so many storylines. What do I put in the first pay-per-view? Do you see what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Yep. What's not what and the only one that would have taken away from the Taz and Sabu gimmick was me and chains gimmick because he broke my neck. So we had more heat than anybody when it came down to that. But he pulled me out of the show and put me in the audience too. And I had to wear a collar. I, I was ready, already back in shape, ready to go. But they didn't want to do it. So I had to jump the guardrail. That's when they put Anthony versus Shane Douglas in the match.
1: Yes. Yes. Definitely, we'll get to that in a second. But kind of before that, leading up to that, when he actually comes back and you guys are, are going to, you know, form the pit bulls together, what's kind of your thought? Because you, you've been doing singles, you've been having getting a nice push. Were you happy he's back, are you, or, or do you want him to reform the team? Or are you almost like, man, I almost want to get this big singles run.
0: No, I was happy as hell. I was like, let's go. Let's get these tag belts. <laughs> it's time to get public enemy and beat them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's go. Yep. You know, and we knew them guys. You yeah, gotta remember I used to wrestle Ted Petty when he was the cheetah kid at the Monster yeah. Factory. Yeah. yeah. I wrestled yep. I wrestled him thousands and thousands of times. So I mean, working him was was easy. Cake. Working the Bruise Brothers was cake. Eliminators, beautiful. I mean, so many tag teams went through there. Uh, the Heavenly Bodies went through there. Doc yeah. and Gordy went through there. You know, you name the tag teams, we've been against them. I don't care. Who, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, it's crazy. But they all had to go through the Pit Bulls, man. You know, you guys. Every, were every yeah, everybody had to go through us. Usually, if they brought a new tag team in, that first night they're going against us against the, in the arena. You know, because it's a test, you know, in our business, if, you know, if, if the booker asks you to do a job, you know, you got to do it. It's part of the business. You know, you can't have an attitude and, you know, you can't work.
1: Was that almost like would you guys became the British Bulldogs in, in essence, like what they did to you? Would you guys do that to teams that were coming in at all? Like, at, let's say a younger team, would you ever, you know, test them out, stiff them or, or you're not that's not your guys style?
0: Uh, we would lay our shit in. We would still do kind of Japan style. So, like a lot of forearms were stiff, chops were always stiff. You know, most everything else was. Were, you know, a lot of suplexes. I mean, you know us from power moves and elbows mm-hmm. off the tops. And I mean, look at our finish is a super bomb off the top rope for God's sake. I mean, come on.
1: Yeah, fit in perfectly with ECW. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it like when you guys win the tag titles, you'd be Raven and Stevie Richards. Is that a big accomplishment? You know, as a fan, we always think like titles are huge, huge, but you never really know from the wrestler's
0: perspective. Was that a big moment for you guys winning the tag titles? Uh, the match that we did, the double door collar, be- uh, best out of three falls in 1995 was the best match in ECW at that time. We won awesome that. match. Yep. Yeah. We did the two out of three falls and, uh, I mean, we had like six different angles going in that one match. I mean, just being able to remember what we had to do, not alone get through the match, was was crazy. And I had a tore tricep during that. I tore my tricep the Friday night before. And I still worked that match with no tri no left tricep. I had to get it reattached after.
1: Wow. That's just is that like the ECW
0: mentality? You wrestle injured no matter what? That's how this business is, period. You wrestle her if you have to. You know, that, that's no bullshit. That's how I was brought up.
1: And that match is crazy because with all, like, the, the tapes, when you see the commercial the tapes, I remember they used to always, you know, highlight that match, that you know, the dog collar and, and the cage and the brutality. And, like, that was one of the, the big selling points of ECW. I mean, Paul really kind of put that match over the top, just even explaining it. Was that, you know, a hard match to go through? Not the Injury aside, but just going through, was it a tough match for you?
0: Uh at the time, I really wasn't. If you only knew what I had to go through before that night, Friday night, I tore my tricep, then my car broke down on the way home. Oh man. Okay, from from Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. Okay, we're on 76, broke down. Here comes Paul Heyman, Tommy Dreamer, and Taz, and I don't know who else was in the car, but we jumped in their car and they got us back. I had to get up the next day. I realized my tricep is off. Okay. I got to go get a tow truck, get my car, bring it back to the city and then be at the arena for four o'clock to get ready to get ready for our show for that night. And I didn't know I was getting the titles until I got there that night. And I'm like, oh shit. You know, so it's like, let me tape up and let me go do it. I just had to, you know, when you're in the ring, your adrenaline's going so fast. Whatever pain you feel, you don't feel it. Till after, yeah. Till after. So
1: when they put Francine with you guys, and they kind of you know throw uh, you know her in there with you guys, what was your thought on on her and and putting her in there? Very young to the business at that point, but did you like
0: her? Did you think you guys were going to have good chemistry with her? Yeah, we had no problem with Francine. We liked her. She was very nice girl. Very young. We were the first. I think she was. We were the first tag team she uh, was with. I think to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, but she didn't like her outfits because we were into the the, the leather and S&M yep. the chains, the spike collars. And in her gimmick, you know, I talk with I would always tell her, look, you got to wear like an S&M thing. You know what I'm I, saying? And yep. She hated that, but she had to do it, you know. And then when she and then when she turned on us, which was awesome. And yep. I just so happened to break my neck and I wasn't planned. I mean, it just happened. It worked out great for her, you know what I mean? Because she became the, the most vicious, extreme girl there,
1: you know? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. That turn is awesome. It, it's one of those things that it was shocking. The fans didn't see it coming. You know, nowadays, everybody
0: sees it coming. <laughs> right? They didn't see it coming then. They didn't see it coming. And listen, I don't care what anybody says. They jumped the guardrail when he threw me to the ground in the halo. Mm, yep that is white heat that's real heat that means they wanted to beat his ass and kill him for touching me yep you see what i'm saying so we had we had a lot of heat dude that man i mean to this day i still work shane douglas places because people still want to see us go at it you know and we do door collar matches you know We, we beat the shit out of each other
1: So kind of just rewinding a little bit before that, what actually happened there? Because Shane, you know, I might have one story, you might have another. When he, I guess he goes for a DDT and and he tripped, I guess, and he went too soon. Or what happened like when you actually broke your neck in that match?
0: I took a bad bump and he landed wrong. But I could have probably saved my neck if my – I had just got surgery done to my bicep. I blew it off, so I got reattached. And it was healed, but I just started in the gym. So I wasn't really strong yet. So I couldn't really use that right arm to stop, you know, the DDT, you know, and protect myself. And I figured I'm going to take it like a DDT, which that move, he goes to his ass. I take a face bump. But he went to his back with his elbow behind my head. And like I said, I took the DDT, which actually forced my head down even faster and quicker and harder when I should have just took a face bump and laid my legs out straight. So I took a bad bump, but very, very, very lucky I didn't die because I broke C one and I should have been paralyzed.
1: Any heat with Shane over that? Like would you did you guys get along okay? Or was, you know, was there some blame being, you know, passed along?
0: No, nah, no, nah, maybe in the beginning. I mean, honestly, the guys in the locker room were more uh kind of frazzled than we were like me and Mm -hmm. him were okay like the locker room didn't know if we were okay or not I think they were afraid something like I was gonna do something or something was gonna happen you know but it wasn't like that you know what I mean especially when we started setting up like they didn't want to do the they didn't want to do the angle period bro okay they didn't want to do the angle why not? But I got I got clearance by my doctor because they were afraid that I wouldn't be able to wrestle again. So they didn't want to do it. And once the doctor said, look, you know, you're going to be cleared, you're going to be fine, you know, in six months, you know, but I gave myself an extra two months. So I did eight months and I came back and I was very lucky to have the, the late, great, ravishing Rick Rude bring me back.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: You know what I mean? Which was awesome that night. And, uh, Nobody expected me to come back and come back that strong and that fast. You know what I mean? Uh, but no, we, me and Shane worked on beautiful – we worked all over, man. and Because that's what I was thinking. I was thinking we're getting ready to do the pay-per-view. So that's why we're working in every city and every town. And we were doing great matches. We were doing like 30, 45-minute matches and all reverses. and Because we had the heat for it. So it was like anything we did, the people went crazy for it.
1: Absolutely. And it, it's just almost like built in. They, they think, you know, oh, he broke your neck. You know, these guys probably really hate each other. It's right, it's like the perfect marriage almost.
0: Ex- except for Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, Shane Douglas is always a baby face. It, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had an actual woman smack me across the face there. <laughs> and I, I literally I mean, she hit me hard, man. My ear was ringing because I took a bump and everything on the floor and I'm rolling around and all I hear is Francine laughing and Shane laughing and I'm like, Man, throw this bitch out. (laughs) Yeah, what are (laughs) they doing? I was gonna kill her. And come to find out it was it was uh, Shane's babysitter when he was a kid.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow, what a small world. That's crazy. That's awesome.
0: But I called her a I called her a witch and all this crap. So she she, I had it coming to me. So that was cool.
1: So the Halo incident, that whole thing that goes down, and obviously, like you talked about, White Heat, there's just so much craziness involved. That's another thing that they would play on the videos, and you just be like, oh, my God, shocking. Like, the riot in Philly, I mean, it's just nuts. Where's the Halo, It was, was it supposed to be already gone at this point and you had left it in? Like, what was the whole story there? Because that's got to be a very dangerous spot. I mean, for him to do it once is, is crazy, but then to do it, like, jerky again and then throw you down. I mean, that's just if you think about it, it's like, wow, what a
0: visual. That is nuts. Okay. Well, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. I gotta take it off, and I had to stay in my house for a week. Paul Heyman said, Do not leave your house till next <laughs> till next Saturday when you come to the arena with the halo on. I said, Okay, so they took it off me, and then the doctors gave me the halo back and they gave it to me with Pat. that the screws went to the same spot they were in my skull. But they had a pad on it instead so i'm still literally locked in the thing even though it's not in my skull i'm Mm -hmm. locked in it plus i had my left arm in my pocket because i had said the gimmick the the fake gimmick was i hurt my arm and i was paralyzed kind of the neck was a straight up shoot it was broke i just added that left arm and what happened was we went, We were going over how we could do it and blah, blah, blah. And some guys were like, oh, yeah, take a bump. And I'm like, I don't think I should take a bump. If I just take a bump, like a regular back bump with that, not only is it going to kill me, it ain't going to look right. You know yep. what I'm saying? Yeah. So yep. I really, honestly, I don't think I could have took a bump with it, you know? So the way he grabbed it was like, we one, two, three, we timed it. And I went down to one knee and, and I took it the only way I could. Like he threw me down and that's the way I fell is the way I fell and I couldn't do anything about it. And that's why every, then then all I remember is laying there and I, I, I just, I can't really see much because remember my head's locked straight. Yep. But all I did was I, I would see people like jumping like higher than they're supposed to be. Like this guy, he's supposed to be near me. He's a fan. They're jumping the guardrail. That's what I didn't realize. And then once I realized that, I remember Shane grabbing Francine and and trying to run. And it was insane. When I saw it on video, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I couldn't believe it.
1: Man, just epic, epic stuff. Unforgettable stuff. And that that fan base and those fans in that crowd supposedly the smartest fans and they're buying into it i mean so that shows you like the level of wow this seems like it was real and shane douglas is the biggest asshole ever for doing that i
0: mean that's how it came off that's exactly what happened and after that shane was the biggest asshole and he had the he had the most heat and that's why he was the champ <laughs> yeah. You know? yep. yeah yeah this is what this is what the business is i mean Sometimes it, you know, it works f- for you. Sometimes it don't work for you. But then again, an angle, one angle could change a person's life. You know what I'm saying? I mean, look yeah. at the, look at, look at Stone Cold Steve Austin. Look at Hulk Hogan. Look at The Rock. Remember what he was when he started? Oh, yeah. and what, did he turn, what did he turn into? Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So you never know what's going to happen. You know, you just got to go with it, you know?
1: So. When the, when the Halo thing goes down, obviously, you know, like you said, that white heat, it was just crazy hot. What was the expectations of, like, the end of the feud with you and him? Was there ever ever any talk of, like, you know, eventually you're going to become world champion? Or what was kind of the end game for Paul? Was there ever any talk about, you know, you're getting your revenge and, and things like that?
0: No, it was cool. I, I Honestly, I wasn't interested in being heavyweight champion at the time. I was a tag team. I just wanted to get back to my tag team and – Get back to work like we were doing. You know what I mean? That's that's what I w- wanted to do. Because they gave Anthony a very good push, and they gave him the TV title. Yeah. Yep. You know, which which is great, because we were, we're really the only tag team. You got to look at that television title class of guys, and then you can understand where I'm coming from. To be able to have that television title and then also be tag team champs. You know, we were, like I said, we were tag champs before it became ECW, bro. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's, 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 we love to be in TV title holders. Also, we love it.
1: It's funny. The ECW always made their TV title as important as the world title. You know, a lot of it, you know, RVD was champ forever and they would put him on the main events and stuff. Right. I mean, the ECW
0: TV title, Paul made sure it was just as important as the world. I mean, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Maliko, Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit, the list goes on and on and on of guys that had that television title. Yeah, and even Two Shane, Cold, of course. Yep. Shane, Two Cold Scorpio. I mean, it's it's very iconic to have that belt. Not many people had that belt either. Not many people.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he that's did a, a good that's job. A
0: very, that's a very good thing there someday.
1: What do you think of Paul Heyman? So many people say – genius so many other people say not it's it's almost almost like a little bit of divide saying oh he's not but a lot of people say you know he's a creative genius he's a mastermind the other hand maybe he's not so much a good of of a businessman or maybe that's the kind of downfall of him but what do you think about him creatively is he a genius is he a wrestling
0: you know savant as so many people like to say i think he turned into one yes from being a photographer and just taking pictures, just like Jim Cornette. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, they put their time in. Uh, I wouldn't, be- I would only believe maybe 10% of what comes out of his mouth <laughs> when All he's right. talking to you. Yep. But, but when it comes to the business, I got to give him his props. Yes.
1: Would he lie a lot? Maybe not to you, but have you seen him lie a lot with voice? Because that's like the funny story. It's like when his—I think his mother said this quote: it's "Like when his <laughs> mouth is moving, he's lying." Like that whole thing—is that true? Or is that blown out of proportion?
0: No, it's true. Bruce, I'll give you an example. Bruce, Bruce Pritchard told me straight up uh, when he's on the phone. Believe maybe ten percent. That's about it. <laughs> Period. <laughs> so yeah. What
1: was he like to work with? Like everyone always says great motivator. You see Beyond the Mat, you know, him being a great mo- is that what he's great at being
0: motivating, motivating the
1: troops? Very good
0: motivator. He can convince you to jump off a building. Hmm. And he's done and he's done it. Yes. I've seen it done. Okay. Uh he can convince you to take a fucking 20 chair shots, and I've seen it done. So he's a very good motivator. I don't think he wants to put up with the what happens after <laughs> the fact, but he's a good motivator. I'll tell you that.
1: Do you think he's a manipulator at all with what he was doing? Like, you know, people always say, oh, if you're in ECW, you were drinking the Kool-Aid. It, it, was that the case? Or you find that that's like a BS thing that, that people that weren't in ECW like to say about ECW? Uh,
0: I guess that I don't know anybody that would get – Treated like that or had any problems like that. And if he did, uh, that's on them. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the locker room's a locker room. I mean, I was in the Philly click, you know what I mean? So we had our clicks. They had a New York click, the Philly click started the whole way. I mean, that was the biggest click. You know, that was Todd's God's guys, you know what I'm saying? And uh we uh no, he never was able to get anything over on us because we made sure, you know, we handle our money. You know what I'm saying? You know, and and, and if we knew he was up to something, we always pretty much caught it early, you know, because he would come to the arena. We, and sometimes we didn't know what we were doing that night, you know, and he sits at a table and he'll call people over once in a blue moon to tell them what they're doing. And half the time he had no idea what he was doing that night. You know what I mean? And so finally I'm like, all right, Paul, you know, I don't care. I can handle any situation. So he would wait. You know, sometimes it'd be like, all right, you guys are on in about 30 minutes. It's going to be you guys and them. You know, get ready. You know, you're, you're in front of the ECW crowd. And we all sat there and watched that camera. And we watched that TV. So everybody who watched that show and was on that show, we all had a better the next match. So I don't care what they did. We had to have a better match. And that's how everybody thought in that locker room.
1: How is that locker room? Everyone always says it's the best locker room. Uh, Shane Douglas always says the best locker room's ever been. And you know, he's been everywhere, but that was his favorite locker room. Is that the case for most of the guys? They love that locker room and that camaraderie with, with those guys?
0: Everybody liked that. Our locker room was the best because everybody cared for each other because we all were in it together. We all did the crazy shit together. If one of us went down, it hurt everybody. We didn't want to see that happen. You know what I mean? Because we were trying to build something here and we were getting momentum like crazy. You know what I mean? And we just put our heart and soul into it. I mean, why do you think Vince McMahon had a turn to the, uh, what's that, uh, attitude error, that attitude error. He had to, after we did the one night stand, bro, their easy nights were over done we showed something so different on WWF pay-per-view that they had to change their whole entire aspect of the business and that's when they became the attitude era because we made it you know i looked at them guys up and they were sitting up there in the balcony looking down at us all the wwe guys and what, what you you're a fan so you watched it their jaws were on the ground they were like Because they could not believe what we were doing for work. We were working our asses off. And they could not believe how hard we would work. And then in their minds, they're saying, we couldn't do that every night. No shit, you can't do it every night. You can. Mm not But we showed them that we could work hard, really hard. And not only that, we had psychology. So... That's what I said. I mean, I'll tell you, it's, it's, it, I don't care who you ask. We changed it. The one-night stand changed the business.
1: What do you think about the locker room itself? Like, is it as much of a party atmosphere? It's a drugs running ramp. You know, you always hear the crazy stories like, oh, this guy's doing this and this guy's doing that. Was that as true as, as it's being advertised that ECW was just like this party atmosphere in the back 24-7 and just insane behind the scenes?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It was freaking crazy. Nobody had a locker room like us, bro. It was fucking insane. (laughs) Okay, I can't. And I've been in Vince's locker room in 1988 when I was in his Mm -hmm. locker room. That locker room was pretty crazy too. I mean, they they were. I was in shock. As a kid, I was just like, holy shit! Like, I walked in the men's room and I couldn't believe what I was seeing going on in there. You know, so don't I mean, don't this is before Vince got in trouble with the steroid situation. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yep. This yep. Goes Way back. You know, those guys were all partying too. you know, back then they really do it. I don't think they were doing much tests back then in the 80s. I'll be honest with you. I mean, look how big everybody was.
1: Yeah, true. Uh, they weren't doing much until that steroid trial hit, and then that kind of uh, changed things big time. What was kind of like the atmosphere like at ECW? Like, as far as is there a locker room leader? Is there a guy in charge, or is just kind of not a free for all? But everyone's kind of their own person.
0: Uh, we had a couple guys we respected a little bit more. Like we always respected Tommy Dreamer a little bit because he was like kind of he was kind of uh, Paul's like right hand guy. You know what I'm saying? So. Plus he handled a lot of the business for ECW like merchandise and stuff like that. And uh, pretty much everybody knew their own, everybody had their own job. That's how like, we didn't have to be told what to do, or if we did get told what to do it was one time and that's it, you know, we would just keep doing it, you know? And like, if we would start setting up, uh, you know, our, our uh, vending tables, you know, to sell t-shirts and stuff like mm-hmm. that. If we didn't have anybody to do that, I mean, I remember some of the guys' girlfriends would sit at the tables and sell merch for ECW. Right, right. And then they would throw them a $100 bill for the night, you know what I'm saying? So it was a close-knit family. I mean, even the people who collected money at the door were like fans that were with us from the beginning. And we just ended up bringing them in and letting letting them help us, you know?
1: As far as Heyman being a leader, what do you, what do you think about him being like the leader of the show? Like he's a great creative mind, but what about him as, you know, the leader as the boss?
0: No, he couldn't uh, I can't say that he would do everything cuz you got remember Todd Gordon was still there. You know, so Todd Gordon has a great mind for the business also. So between them two, you know, they would pretty much figure it out. And then like I said, like every time we would have a show somewhere we would have guys come to ECW wherever we were at and they would, we would let them work out in the ring before the shows. And they're like the pit bulls, uh, the eliminators, uh, new Jack would hang out, you know, the ball, like most of the top guys would hang out and watch, you know, and if we liked somebody, we would let them know, you know, like, yo, that team looks good or that guy looks good. And nine times out of 10, if, if they heard enough of us, give a guy a compliment they would bring them in and give them a shot, you know? So we were pretty yeah. cool when it came down to that stuff. You know, we always were looking for new talent and, you know, new stuff to do, you know?
1: Yep. You know, around the time of, of Barely Legal, the WWF is, has a deal with ECW, and they're promoting Barely Legal, the pay-per-view, and they're kind of promoting, and obviously ECW shows up on Raw and, and different shows and stuff. Were you shocked that, you know, Vince wanted anything to do with ECW? Because it almost seems... Counter to what they do, ECW, you know, Blood and Guts and WF, there was a lot of sports entertainment. Or did you kind of see the, the writing on the wall that they wanted to uh, kind of go in that general direction?
0: What happened was they, re- they didn't realize we had an audience. Once they realized we're actually growing an audience and we just don't have one, we're growing it. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And they're tired of seeing this slapstick shit on television that sucks. Right. Yep. And they, they're they tired of getting their intelligence. You know what I mean? Like, you're like looking at them like they're stupid. You know what I mean? Like, okay. Now, after they watch one show of ours, they don't want to watch WF no more. And that's what it came down to. You know, we had rock and roll girls and blood and tables and chairs. Mm-hmm. We You know, we brought it all. We brought the crowd in to the show. I always made sure I, I knew a guy worked 40 hours. You know, I would call him an asshole right to his face just so he could unload on me, man. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I had no problem with that. You know, so once, like I said, once Vince realized how hard we were working, we were creeping, man. As my boy Squirt would say, we're creeping up. (laughs) And that's when he that's when he got his rich fingers in our business and he started paying Paul Heyman money. And that's what happened. But we yeah. didn't know that was happening at the time. We had no idea. And then once we started figuring it out, that's when, I mean, Vince still wanted to look at us. I mean, we went back in nineteen ninety eight, and they looked at us, and they were going to bring us in, and put uh, Terry Reynolds with us as our manager, and we were going all the way with those straps and everything. I don't know what she, I don't know what happened with that, but uh, like I said, we were supposed to go to WCW, and then that just. Blew up in our face. Cause I didn't think Vince, I knew they were going to take ECW, but I had no clue. They would try to grab WCW.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: But they did. And I mean, it was one week of me signing a contract, a three-year deal. Totally killed me, man.
1: <laughs> and who did you sign? Was it with Bischoff, Johnny Ace? Like who was like the actual person that's going to reach out to you, and make that deal with you.
0: Uh, Kevin Sullivan, Terry Taylor. Diamond, Dallas, Page, Raven, and Bischoff called me up at my house on a dual phone thing. I guess they're in the office. And they, were, they asked, they said, do you guys want to come in for the December pay-per-view? And I was like, what do you got planned? They go, we're putting you, we want to give you a three-year deal, and you're going against the Steiners, and you're getting the belts right away. And I was like, hell yeah, I'm down. Because I knew that was going to turn into a six-year deal, easily. And then, you know, who knows, you know. And they were working with New Japan too, so it worked out perfect for us. You know, at the time Vince, I think they stopped working with Japan.
1: And it just never uh, came to fruition, I guess. I mean, uh, you know, the, just never the, timing it, yeah, the timing of it, yeah, timing of it just I mean, never happened.
0: I called Hit Bischoff on Monday, and he was supposed to give us our flight information to fly out on Tuesday, and he's like, I can't, I'm not allowed to sign anybody. Otherwise, I would have already signed you. He goes, I can't sign anybody. No, put it that way. Because then they'd be liable to give me my money. You know, Vince had to pay all those contracts off from WCW. You
1: know, just rewinding though. Why did you end up leaving ECW? Was there payment issues with Heyman? Like, what was the issues of of exiting ECW?
0: I was supposed to leave earlier. We were going to be in Raven's flock, but I had to get an E-surgery. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was like, look, we were leaving anyway. Everybody else was going. We more or less, we were like next to the Dudleys. We were the and the gangsters. We were pretty much the last guys to go. You know, we even gave them a two-week de- you know, we gave them a two-week notice. I said, you know, look, we're going to WCW. I was supposed to go. Like I said, we're Raven. You know, we were supposed to be in the uh his flock. That was the whole yep. gimmick. You know, but I blew my knee, so Perry Saturn got that spot, you know, and they got somebody else to take Anthony's so that that just you know we stayed in ecw we stayed loyal and then you know we said look we got to jump ship sorry you know that's all we got that's all i can say when
1: WWF started taking some ecw talent you know in in the uh, the late 90s wcw then started taking some ecw talent so obviously ecw was a bit of a hotbed for getting the talent was Todd Gordon, because that's a rumor out there, that he was some sort of mole for WCW and maybe for Kevin Sullivan, that he would kind of get guys deals for WCW like a Saturn or um, uh, Sandman when he goes in and and Stevie Richards and all these guys that kind of end up going there. Was there any sort of mole situation with Todd Gordon? Because he leaves ECW.
0: Uh, He's very tight with Kevin Sullivan, and, I, and I've known Kevin – Shit, when I just started in the business, I was. I met him in probably '87, and I didn't go to wrestling school till '88. Right. And I met him in Daytona and just started shooting the shit with him, and we became friends. But, uh, and I've wrestled him many times. Uh, Todd, uh, like I said, he had a lot of friends in WCW, but you got to remember when Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Jericho, uh, and Chris Benoit went to WCW, they made a deal for four guys. That was their deal. So everybody had their own deals. So I don't know if Todd had anything to do with them, but uh, I know he had nothing to do with the uh, Raven getting there because, you know, he's tight with Dallas Page and them guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, they called us. I mean, we were ready to go. I could have went sooner, but I didn't because I had to get my knees done. But when it was time for us to come, they – they were waiting for us. They were. They had a great angle. We had a great setup, man. We were going to roll good there, really good. Vince was going to make a big mistake, put it that way.
1: Yeah, yep. Now you do return to ECW in two thousand, albeit briefly. Was that something that you were, wanted a longer deal? You were going to come back full time, more of a singles run. But was what was kind of on the cards for that?
0: I, I don't yeah. even remember. They probably just called us up and said, come and work. And we just went and worked.
1: You know, yeah, I'm trying to remember who you worked. I think it was Spike Dudley, uh, Scotty Riggs. Uh, I think you were in some like random six. It wasn't like a lot of shows. It was like one little loop and you were kind of gone. I wonder, you know, if it was supposed to be long term or they just wanted no, to. No, it was, I, I,
0: yeah, at that time, I wasn't even under a contract. I was working night to night at that time. You know, when we were there earlier, we were under contract with ECW. So we had, we had two contracts going we had a contract with New Japan and we had a contract with uh, with ECW
1: so after you know it, ECW in 2000 you end up leaving but you're also like you mentioned before FMW wing you do you know all these different kind of promotions is there anywhere you wanted to settle down and, and work or do you like kind of being that you know independent independent wrestler where you know you can work FMW you can work wing you know you can work all these different places what was like your uh, preference at that point?
0: I liked it that way because I got to be home more. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would go on two-week tours to G- Germany and all over the world. You know what I mean? So that was cool. Yep. i get to work with all different guys, guys that I know, like Beefcake and Jimmy Snooker. That was great one, one tour. Uh, so that was cool. Uh, I ended up getting work in uh, Australia. Me and my partner went to Hardcore Championship Wrestling in Australia. Which Kevin Sullivan, uh, King Curtis got us booked there. Uh, the guy, uh, Big Mark, Mad Mark, the guy that was been Kevin Sullivan's gimmick back in the day, Purple Hayes, I think he called himself Mark Lewin. Mark oh, Mark, yeah. Mark Lewin was that his name? Yep. Yeah. Well, he opened up the company in Australia, so we went there and he put the belts on us. We were the Australian tag team champions there. Uh, we were there for about. Going on almost 10 months, and we were rolling, man, pulling 13s on TV before rugby. Nails was our champ. We were tag champs. We had the Samoans with us. Uh, The Bruce Brothers were down there with us. A bunch of guys were with us. Nails was the champ. Hawk Animal was with us for a little bit. Uh, Yeah, we were rolling down there. And then all of a sudden, man, the TV just stopped. And I couldn't understand. Even the TV company couldn't understand because – we were pulling 13s. Vince pulls what? Two point something? We were pull, pulling one <laughs> three point something. No bullshit. Uh, so once I realized that was over, I was like, I got to get my ass back to America. So that's what I did. I flew back home. I thought I was going to end up moving there and working. And, was- then I, and then, we,
1: you know, we mentioned it before the, the shocking death of Anthony You know, Durante ends up uh, passing away. It was just a, uh- a shocking moment for you just, uh, you know, out of the blue one day, how did that kind of get that information get, you know, told to you?
0: I was in a gym. Somebody mentioned to tell me but I didn't believe it because I didn't hear anything. Uh, at that time, he already moved to Connecticut where his mom and his brother was with his girl and their two kids. And then, uh, I didn't believe anything then, but when I got home, I heard something on TV about a shooting and, that didn't make any sense, and then I heard another thing about overdose, which still didn't make any sense. But nobody—I I still don't know to this day what happened. And I'm his partner, so his family is a real Italian family, so they're very, very—you know—I guess they like to keep things hush hush.
1: Yeah quiet about it yeah it's a crazy kind of thinking i mean r- really young i mean you know not old at all you know at that point either so you know he had a lot of years ahead of him was there any kind of thoughts or any plans of, of going to WWE or was there anything in the works for you guys at that point yeah we
0: were, before he passed away he was getting his life back together and he was getting back in shape and he was ready to go i mean that's when i told you the, uh, the road warriors called us and we were ready to yeah. go back I mean, and come on, we couldn't get a better break than the work against the you know Legion of Doom. I mean, come on. Most, yeah. most people would always say, you guys remind us of the Road Warriors, but a little bit smaller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. Were That's they an inspiration awesome. for the gimmick? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, we love their style. You know, they're just badass guys. It, it's like we're badasses. If you don't like us, you like us. If you don't, you don't. I don't give a shit. That's pretty much our attitude.
1: Nice. I love that attitude. Now, as we start to wind it down and, and head towards the finish, maybe a, just a generic question for you, but I'm just curious, especially with guy like you wrestled literally everywhere. Do you have favorite matches or favorite opponents? Because I, I, know, I just love that question because you never know kind of the answer you're going to get from certain guys. Cause you know, you could pull a random team or a random guy out of nowhere. I'm like, Oh my God, now I got to go YouTube and check that out or something. Do you have some favorite matches and favorite opponents? <sighs>
0: wow. Yeah. Uh. Dude, it's so hard. I mean, the, I've wrestled so many. I mean, I got to remember, I, I'll give you an example. I was very green in North Carolina, and they Dean Malenko came in. I never met Dean Malenko. I just heard of him, you know, he's from the Malenko brothers. Yep. Didn't realize how much intelligence this guy is and how, much, how smart he is. And, you know, Paul Jones and George Scott are like, okay, you guys are working together tonight. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm a baby face, and he's a baby face. How's that going to work out? You know that's how green I was. I remember this is my first job. Yep. I remember Dean pulled me aside and he's like, "Listen, don't worry about it, kid. I got you." And he gave me the finish. And I actually sat there looked at him and said, "You know what? That's a great fucking finish." I mean, that's great. That's great psychology how we're both baby faces and we're still going to come out as baby faces. Now none of us turned into a heel after that match. And we we tore it up for 30 minutes. And the finish was he shot me off the rope, went for a leaf frog. My head hit him in the balls. He hit the ground. One, two, three. It was a fucking accident. Hmm. Genius. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nobody looked bad. No, I mean, I got the win. It was a lucky win, but it, he stole the man with a thousand moves. You see what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you have some favorite tag matches with uh, Anthony, a part of the Pitbulls?
0: Great matches with the Brewers Brothers. Uh, considering they're six seven six eight you know like i said the one thing about the pitbulls we could wrestle any style you name the style we can handle it uh we had great matches against the headhunters those big fat 400 oh yeah yep that dude moonsaults we had unbelievable matches with them uh steiners we had great matches with them dude uh I got to say, the British Bulldogs, two weeks, I learned more. I couldn't believe how much I learned. Uh, Working Eddie's dad and Ray Mysterio's dad, the Guerrero brothers, I learned so much from them guys. You know, you got to remember, we went to Puerto Rico, man. They put the tag titles on us. Mm -hmm. Yep. We were Puerto Rico champs. And guess who we were working? And training at the same time. Thunder and Lightning, who are the heavyweight champs forever. They've been there. You know, so then them guys are two police officers, believe it or not.
1: Oh, didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. You just know, you know, the colognes, thunder and lightning give yeah, very associated with WWC down there in Puerto Rico.
0: Yeah, they were great guys, man. We, we got to work with them. they were very young back then. So they had to learn. And, you know, C- Carlos was like, look, you know, I need you guys to help these guys. I'm like, no problem. We have no problem with that. You know what I mean? And we would work Kendall Windham, Barry Windham down there. They threw the belts on us right away. I mean, we were on TV down there rocking it. I'd go two weeks at a time and come home, go back two weeks, come home. It was great. Do
1: you have any regrets, like looking back in wrestling? Is that possible to have any regrets or anything you look back you're Like, yeah, hey, I wish you know we did it. Would it went here? Would it went there? Would it changed this? Would it changed that?
0: We could have been in a WrestleMania. And we didn't do it, and we should have did it. That's not, That's the only thing I regret
1: was there an opportunity which do you remember which Wrestlemania could have been or
0: uh, it was they were putting us against the Hart Foundation and they had a great idea with a helicopter and a chain connected to a cage they were going to lower us in the ring and it was going to be all smoked out and we were going to be all spiked up and it was going to be really cool and we turned it down because we were working in Japan and shit just happens you know it just wasn't the right time and now that I go back, I wish I would have just did it, hung out for as long as they wanted, and then we could have went back. You know what I'm saying? The publicity alone would have been worth doing it, put it that way.
1: Then Japan would have wanted it probably even more. You know what I mean?
0: We, 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 we were still locked in Japan regardless. It would, it would just would have helped our career more, yes.
1: So... Just looking back at not only your career, maybe the pit bulls itself. It's like when a fan is just looking back and they're looking at through history books or something and they see the pit bulls and they see Gary Wolf. What's the stamp or what's the legacy of the pit bulls and and Gary Wolf on professional wrestling?
0: We're the original mad dogs of war. We are the pit bulls. There, there could be. I don't care how many people want to call themselves a pit bull. They're not the pit bulls okay our our work compared to their work is apples and oranges because we'll punch you in the face and we can back up our shit and that was one thing about me and anthony if we had a reputation it was don't fuck with us and that's no bullshit
1: yeah, absolutely now what do you got coming up like signings do you got uh, some wrestling coming up are you getting back out there on the road
0: Yes, I am. I guess I started getting some calls. and I'll give you one first. October 10th, I will be in Jackson, New Jersey, North Jersey, for Titan Championship Wrestling. And I will be in a steel cage against Monster Mac with weapons hanging. So you guys got it. If you guys haven't seen me in a while, come out to that show, man. It's, uh, we're main eventing it. We're going to tear the roof down. There's two cage matches that night. And believe me, nobody will be able to follow our match. Nobody.
1: And also, you'll be doing a virtual signing, which I don't know if you've done one of them before. Very unique kind of thing where basically, you know, it's no fans, but there's a ton of fans watching you. And they're kind of telling you what to sign. I mean, what do you think about virtual signing? These wrestling promoters will kind of think of uh, a lot of weird, interesting stuff. But, I mean, it actually works. It's actually a successful kind of business model.
0: for us guys it's helping us out greatly i mean we appreciate it and that's no bull and everybody's doing well when they do it so uh kick in man because i got some badass t-shirts i mean if you go to uh my eat gmail you can hit me up pitbull67gw at gmail.com i got some badass shirts dude from pitbulls i got original ones from ecw uh, you can also go to my Facebook. It's under Gary Wolf. Check that out. Uh, I'm also... I have a, another Facebook. A friend of mine opened up for me. ECW Legend. Original Pit Bull of War. Dogs of War. It's another one you could check out, guys.
1: All right. Awesome stuff. Mr. And, Wolf, uh, and, then,
0: and then that other one you're talking about, I'll be doing with Dylan Hines on October 15th from Florida. And I think... It's going to be an extreme session. Uh, I think I'm going to have uh, Fonzie, one of the best managers ah, in the business, nice. yep. is going to be with me with Dylan Hines for our extreme signing on the 15th of October, Thursday night, brother.
1: Nice, nice. And I think you got one for Gimmick Tree too coming up, uh, if I remember correctly, around the date of the uh, um, of the. Uh, show you got going on for the saw I,
0: I maybe maybe that's my afternoon signing that saturday yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That, they said i have a signing that afternoon so i'm probably doing that one
1: yeah so good stuff you're keeping busy i love it the the pit bull is getting back out there despite COVID. you're getting back out there love it
0: dude i'm in better shape now than i was before it's crazy <laughs> that's and i mean
1: yeah. yeah, some people sit around and, and get in bad shape like me, and you are out there getting in
0: great <laughs> shape. Yeah, now nah, you look good, brother. <laughs> Thank you very
1: much. I uh really appreciate all the time you gave us today. Thank you Gosh. so much, Mr. Wolf, and uh, good luck with the uh, getting back out there in the road and the steel cage match and the
0: virtual signings. Good luck, I appreciate it. And like I said, everybody out there, you the man, I love it. Thank you for letting me be on your show, I appreciate it, brother.